0: as I was listing these negative thoughts and I really looked at how they were affecting me because the thoughts in my mind were real but I had to really take them to a place of how do they make me feel and that's when I went to these are emotional toxins because they make me sad they make me separate myself from people they make me separate myself from God in my faith they make me separate myself from friends because I think I'm not valued I think I'm not good enough. And that's when I looked at him and said, these are toxins. This is a poison in my mind that I need to gain control of.
1: Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. I'm Diane. I'm a mother of three living in Columbus, Ohio. I'm trying to make room in my life for what matters by getting rid of the clutter and living life with purpose. I hope you'll join me on the journey to think more and do with less. Joining me today is author Billy Jouss. Billy is an accomplished author of two books, Making Room and her latest, Distraction Detox. Today, Billy will share with us her personal journey of overcoming emotional barriers that left her feeling stuck, uncertain, and discouraged. She discovered that despite simplifying her schedule and taking control of chaos in her life, she still needed to address the emotional toxins that were holding her back from claiming confidence and fulfillment. So join me today as Billy shares her experience and practical tips on how to detox from what she calls emotional toxins, comparison versus conviction, how to eliminate right hand syndrome, and more. For those of you that are new around here, I do release bonus episodes that serve a niche part of my audience, and I do have listeners of all faith backgrounds that listen to the podcast. This episode is coming from a Christian perspective, so if that's something that doesn't fit what you're looking for, check out the other episode that dropped this week with my friend Tracy Showalter, Or check out the episode dropping next week with my guest, Christine Miles, all about the importance of listening in relationships, not just with our spouses, but with our children, our family, our friends. You won't want to miss this one. All right. As with bonus episodes, I jump right into the conversation. So let's get to it with Billy. Billy, thanks so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. Ah, Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am excited to have you here. We just found out that we have a connection from Columbus that now is in Naples. And so
0: it was so fun to just kind of break the ice in that way. I love when that happens. I do too. You know, I I tell people all the time, the world is really small when you talk to other people, Yeah, you know, and when you don't, you don't know how small it is because a, a lot of times you'll end up with some connection of something somewhere, somehow. Well, it's why you should never burn bridges
1: because, oh, you, never yes. know,
0: you know, that's a lesson I taught my kids many, many years ago, never yeah. burn a bridge. Cause you're always going to end up back on that bridge one way or another. It might not be with the exact person, but yeah. it'll be, you know, six degrees of separation from that person. And it's still too close, you know, oh,
1: yeah. for sure. Well, who am I talking today?
0: Why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself and we'll get started. Oh, gosh, isn't this always a hard thing to do? You're like, don't want to sound too boring and you don't want to boast. I mean, it's just a weird place to be. But my name's Billy. I'm an author, speaker, podcast host. Um, I'm married to David now for 34 years. Oh, my God, I feel so old. And (laughs) we have three boys. My husband is in professional baseball. So we have been in professional baseball. This is actually our 36th Major League Baseball season we're going into. Wow. And that makes me feel really, really old when I say it. But our three boys, you know, grew up living this crazy life of baseball. We've lived in 15 different cities and towns in the US, Dominican Republic, and Venezuela. And I prayed really hard not for my kids to go into baseball because it's a hard life on the wives, on the girlfriends, you know? And I was like, please, I don't want them to go into baseball. And guess what? All three do. They're all in baseball. So. (laughs) <laughs> you really that happens, right? Yeah, it is funny. But yeah, so I've written two books. I'm actually contracted for a third book that I'm in the deadline for now. So I'm working hard on that and excited about that.
1: Okay. Okay. So you wrote this book that we're going to be talking about today. It's called Distraction Detox, Release Emotional mm-hmm. Barrier, yeah. Restructure Priorities, Realize God's Best. What prompted you to write Distraction Detox?
0: Yeah, my first book was called Making Room, Doing Less So God Can Do More. And they're faith-based books. It's a place that I come from and things that I've learned over the years and how that process has happened. But in Making Room, it really talked about the external distractions. You know, when we get caught up in watching TV or movies or streaming Netflix for hours and hours or I know I'm older, but I can get on TikTok and Instagram and scroll for way too long. And so that was that part of how do we really focus on our faith rather than losing ourselves and falling into that comparison when we get on Insta or, you know, the things that we think we need to have as moms and wives and and friends. And so in Making Room, there was a small portion in chapter two that talked about the internal distractions. And that was a section that most people wanted me to talk about when I went to speak, when I you know, did interviews, that was something that people really wanted to talk about. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll dig into that. I don't struggle with that very much, but let me dig into it. Well, let me tell you, when I started digging into it, I made a list of all the things that I was thinking about, the negative things, the things that were stressing me out, making me anxious, w- what I thought of myself, what I thought of you know, how I interacted with others. And when I wrote that list down, I'm a list maker. So when I wrote that list down, I had never realized that how big of a bully I was to myself. I was my biggest bully. I would never, ever say those things to my kids. Yeah. My husband, to yeah. my family, to my friends, I would never even say the things I said to myself, to a stranger, Mm -hmm. It was hurtful and demeaning and degrading and devaluing. And once I looked at them, I realized how much they really did stress me out. They took me to a place that I should never go to in my mind. And so in that sort of, and I was doing this for a talk that I was giving actually in the spring to baseball wives and girlfriends. And as I started going through it, I'm like, man, I'm lost in my own world. In this, like, I need to really figure this out. And mm-hmm. I went into the process of how do I get a, in control of these? How do I determine what they are? How do I evaluate what they are? How do I terminate them? And then I'm a planner. So I needed to mm-hmm. outline a plan and then execute it. Like, this is what I need to do to overcome this. Mm-hmm. And It was transformative in my life. I'm not going to say it's a one read fix. I will not promise you that you will completely get rid of every ne- negative thought. But what you can do is get that thought before it spirals you down into a place that you don't want to be. Mm. You know, And you can get a hold of that thought and and then transform it into the truth rather than a lie because they're all lies, those negative thoughts, and then move forward in that.
1: Yeah. So I had some questions that I wanted to ask you, and I think I'm going to bounce around just because of how you started this conversation, but would you say some of the things that you're referring to are emotional toxins that you write about? Is that what you're talking about?
0: Yeah. I call them emotional toxins because the thing that I found is as I was listing these negative thoughts and I really looked at how they were affecting me because the thoughts in my mind were real. But I had to really take them to a place of how do they make me feel. And that's when I went to these are emotional toxins because they make me sad. They make me separate myself from people. They make me separate myself from God in my faith. They make me separate myself from friends because I think I'm not valued. I think I'm not good enough. And that's when I looked at them and said, these are toxins. This is a poison in my mind that I need to gain control of because nobody else could help me now. And I'm going to say this, if you're having such negative thoughts, you cannot overcome them. Counseling is the way to go. I've been in counseling before. I've been in counseling many times. I believe in counseling. If you get to the point where you cannot help yourself in that. Mm -hmm. But in this book, I felt like this is something I can stop. I can really figure out how to move past it. And that was taking those emotional toxins, that poison that was going into me. And I was allowing to increase in me Mm -hmm. and take control of those and replace it with truth.
1: So would you say that you had a tendency or maybe, maybe a personality tendency, or do you think this was circumstantial for
0: you? Yeah, my personality, not girl. You would never think (laughs) (laughs) that I had these thoughts. Like Mm -hmm. it was not even when I told my husband some of the things I was thinking. He's like, "What? Mm -hmm. You think you're a bad mom? You're a great mom." And I'm like, "Yeah, but I did this thing wrong, and Mm -hmm. you know, and my kids gonna hate me forever, and you know, whatever it was." And that was funny because one of the things that when I was thinking about what I was thinking about, Mm -hmm. I would think, "I'm a bad mom. Mm -hmm. My kids are adults now, and..." Fortunately, I should write a book on this and I don't know how it happened. Mm -hmm. Our kids like us. Mm -hmm. They want to spend time with us. My three boys call me almost every day. Oh, yeah. That should be to me like, yeah, you're a pretty good mom. Your kids like you and they're adults. They don't have to like you. But I would think I'm a bad mom. My kids aren't going to like me or love me or whatever it is. And I had to dig into that. What was it? That's part of that evaluation of it. Mm-hmm. Why it makes me feel that way. But where was it? Where did it come from? What happened that, you know, that made me think that? And I went back to this incident when my oldest son was like 11 or 12, where he said something to me that scared me to death because I thought this was going to be a habit he would have the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. And he would take him down a, a path that would lead him into destruction, that he wouldn't have a, a prosperous life and, you know, and enjoy life. And it was something silly. It was just, you know, a friend of his had tried some drugs. And he's like, in his mind, he just wanted to tell me about it. Like, what can I do to help him? In my mind, I went to fear and I screamed at him, screamed at him. But it was based on my fear. So the fear of what could happen turned into a really bad moment with my kid. We asked each other for forgiveness. We both said things we shouldn't have. We moved forward from it. But anytime something happened, I would think I'm a bad mom.
1: Yeah, no, I get that. I noticed this when my kids, my first two were really little, we'd be at the playground and I would just yell at them. And it wasn't because they were doing anything wrong. It was because I was so afraid they were going to get hurt. And so if they didn't do something exactly how I wanted it to, them to, I would yell. And it was because I was uncomfortable and I had to process that and learn that. And now I feel like I'm, The fun mom at the playground. (laughs) Cause I'm like, you know, your boundaries. I watched my three-year-old the other day and there was this big equipment that I was really nervous if he got to the top, but I was like, he's probably not going to climb all the way up there. And if he does, then he is confident in himself. So he climbed halfway. It was too high for him. And he came right back down. I want to give him sure the opportunity to encourage him that he can, but also I want him to learn what he is comfortable with as it comes.
0: That's teaching them coping skills at a young age. Yeah, because yeah. You got to learn how to cope with things and how to, you know, as your kids get older into preteens and teens, they're exposed to t- so many things within school or activities that they're a part of that mm-hmm. they may not be exposed to at home and having mm-hmm. a safe place that they can come to you and sort of figure out those boundaries of how can I help this person? How far can I go into this friendship with this person? Mm-hmm. Rather than just saying that's a bad influence. You don't need to be with them. It's yeah. talking through it teaching them coping skills and how to relate to others in a safe way what mm-hmm. are their boundaries teaching them boundaries that type of thing so yes. yeah I mean, and the thing of it was that when I started thinking about yelling at my kid and why I thought I was a bad mom it was because a girlfriend of mine when I was in college had told me you're going to be a horrible mother you're hmm. never going to amount to anything as a mother in an anger rage that sure. she had towards me. Yeah. But that's where I went back to and went, that's where it came from. Now, a bunch of the feelings I have, I've never figured out why I think that, what, why I, you know, why I hold on to that truth mm-hmm. when there are truly lies. I've mm-hmm. written two books. I've got a contract for a third book. Every time I go to write, I think my content's not valuable. Nobody's going to like it. I'm a bad writer. I can't write a book where that came from i figured that one out was a ninth grade teacher that told me i didn't i couldn't understand the book so it was best for me not to to comment on what the book meant i guess this is my belief but
1: i think that there is a healthy amount of maybe negative, shameful thoughts that we should have to inspire us to be better. But maybe shame isn't the right word, because I do think shame is not of God. But there's a healthy dose of reality of maybe I do yell at my kids too much. And that's a conviction. Yeah,
0: Yeah. that's absolutely true. And I'm not talking about the things that are a conviction or a correction. on. Oh, wow. I shouldn't do that. Yeah. I hope you catch yourself when you do things that are not building on the kids and, and growing them in a loving way. Yeah. What I'm talking about is when you don't really do that outward stuff, but in your mind, you continue to say, I can't do this. I'm not good enough. I'm not valuable enough. Comparison on Instagram. Yeah. I've got a girlfriend that decided she was never going to invite anybody over to her house because it didn't look like her friend's houses on Instagram. Her house was beautiful. It was clean Mm-hmm. Was it the high-end products that some of the insta accounts had? No, but in her mind, she wasn't worthy enough and didn't have a valuable enough space to invite her friends into. And that took her to a place of separation. Mm-hmm. And that's where we don't want to be is separating ourselves from friends, family, God, no you know not allowing these negative thoughts to separate us from who we should be closest to. you know, there comes a time of realization like you're saying where you realize, This is not healthy. This is not how I should be. And this is how I want to grow. You know, in the book, I talk about taking those deceptive thoughts as emotional toxins Mm -hmm. and replacing them with God's truth, digging into scripture, finding a scripture that replaces that. When I went on Facebook after I went, after I made my list and figured out how many thoughts I had, I just wanted to hear, did other people have thoughts like that? Like, You think negative about yourself and you never say it out loud. You never present it to others, but you feel that it's separating you from God, from from family or friends. And I got a boatload of response. It was shocking to me how many people fell into, and I ended up putting them in categories and the three categories were fear, unbelief. And then the third category is, you just said, shame, shame and guilt. God doesn't want us living in fear. He doesn't want us living in doubt. And he does not want us living in, in guilt and shame. And those were the three categories that I found that really people fell into the most, the fear of failure, fear of success, fear of not doing well, doubt that they're valuable enough or they're loved enough or they're good enough. You know, yeah. shame for their past. Like I held on to yelling at my kid. My kids still loved me and liked me and, you know, spent time with me. But in my head, I kept saying, I'm a bad mom. I'm a bad mom. And that wasn't true. You Mm -hmm. know, many times I've said I'm a bad wife. You know, that shame and guilt of something I may have said or done to my husband that he forgave me for, but I never forgave myself.
1: All right. So I want to quickly talk about what is the right hand syndrome that you talk about in your book?
0: This is part of just talking about scheduling and priorities in our lives and how we um, this was more in my first book of how we can plan our lives. The outline in this book of how do we um, set in place the things that are important to us. Right. And when my kids were younger, it was funny because I had a schedule that was really filled and I was totally stressed out about baseball, basketball, wrestling church, youth group, Bible study, you know, all the things that I had going on, I'm stressed out about. But when someone at school would say, Hey, who can bring cookies for after the basketball game? And I would raise my right hand and go, I can, who wants to volunteer to take all the kids to Chuck E. Cheese after whatever I can. And so my husband, one day I came home and I'm like, Oh my gosh, great opportunity. I can do this. I can do that. And he goes, wait a minute. You suffer from the right hand syndrome. This is why you're stressed out all the time. Those may be really, really good things, but are they good God things? You're not doing anything bad, but are you doing what's most important to God, to your family? Are those things the most important? So my right hand syndrome was I was over-volunteering because I wanted to be involved. I wanted to help out, but we really have to take note of what are the priorities in our life and how can we focus on those before we fill all the, you know, all the empty space or the complete empty space before we look at those priorities in our lives. And I always talk about five priorities in our lives that we have five things that we can do and do really well with great focus. You know, for me, my faith is very important. My Mm -hmm. husband is the next thing that's most important to me. And this was even when my kids were growing up because I knew one day I'd be sitting where I am right now with no kids in the house and it's just me and my husband. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was important to focus on. And Hey, all grace to people with toddlers, because in those years it's really hard mm-hmm. to um, take time for you and him, but you have to find those quiet moments, you know, sneak mm-hmm. in a coat closet and have a, <laughs> a moment of just looking at each other. Like you did when you were dating, you know, whatever it may be. And then my kids, if my kids call, Mm -hmm. And something else I'm doing something else that I can take a five minute break from. I'm going to talk to my kids. The fourth one for me is writing and podcasting and speaking that, that ministry part of my life that I want to make sure that I'm obeying God where he's asked me Mm -hmm. to step out boldly in faith and do what he's called me to do. Yeah. And then my fifth one for me are my baseball girls, my baseball girls, wives and girlfriends of coaches and trainers and players that I really do pour into. And I hate to use the word mentoring, because I feel like it's such a mutual mentorship. Like the young girls can teach me a lot too about life, you know, and I can help guide and lead them and um, leading Bible studies with them spring, you know, the spring women's event with them, whatever it may be. I want to make sure that I'm keeping that as a priority. And then if we have an empty jar and we're putting in all the extra stuff, all the right-hand syndrome stuff, we don't have room for those five priorities, those five big priorities to put those in that jar. So we need to take care of those five first, Mm
1: -hmm. and then
0: we can fill in with the little stuff, but we're not neglecting the thing that God's called us to, to pour into our faith, our, our spouse, our kids, you know, whatever it is, he's called us to. So yeah. that was a syndrome for me. And I'm a lot better, but I still find myself at times when people are like, who can volunteer to serve on Sunday at this time? And, so, you know, and my husband's already asked me to go out to lunch. And I'm like, oh, oh I, maybe, I, no, I can't do it. My husband's asked me to go to lunch after church. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to volunteer after church. So not that I don't other times, but I make sure that those priorities are taken care of first.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that The right hand syndrome, I've suffered from that throughout the last, I mean, probably my whole life. And what I also realized is by saying, yes, maybe someone else that was meant to fill that space or that maybe is a little bit more introverted or wouldn't necessarily step up. I was taking that opportunity or even in a small group setting or at a meeting, I would have to fill the silence because I couldn't let it be silent for too long. And it's like, don't take that opportunity for either God or someone else's motivation that comes to be suppressed. Yeah. And I felt like that allowed me some peace to say, like, you don't have to fill that space
0: as exactly. the expert you are. Exactly. Giving people other opp- opportunities to be able to step into a place that yeah. needs attention or that they need to be that person. Yeah. And sometimes I can step in, a, you know, Extrovert. I don't know if you do Enneagram. Eight on the Enneagram. Okay. I, can be the yeah. Yeah. I can be the one that jumps up quickly and try to pull people behind me. And that isn't always a blessing. Sometimes yeah. it's better for them to lead and me to help guide mm-hmm. them from the back, you know.
1: No, I totally agree. I have two more quick questions for you and the okay. first one is you have again, distraction detox and so on the front cover. I just wanted to know about your cover and why you chose that. Yeah. Is it a detoxing drink? I'm looking at yeah. it listeners, it is a glass jar with some mint, some lemons, some honey. Is
0: that why you chose that? Yeah, the artist sent it to me and she's like, "Hey, I want it to look sort of like a detox great." And she had lemons and honey and it was sort of out of order. And I just looked at it and I went, you know, what would be really good is lemon on the left and honey on the right, because we want to go from that bitter feeling to that sweet honey, that place of comfort, Uh of being able to be in peace. And I just, honey's a, I use honey a lot. And it was funny that she even put it on there. She had it sort of behind the picture and I was Mm -hmm. like, pull it out front. Let's go from that bitterness of lemons, you know, that tartness of, What it feels like when you realize that emotional toxin that you need to overcome Mm -hmm. and how to take that and you move into that sweet honey with a fresh mint on top that just gives you this sensation in your nose that you're like, oh, that's it. And really moving into that place of healing of where you are In a a free place where freedom fills you from those negative thoughts, from those emotional toxins, freeing you to be able to hear where God's asking you to go next, asking you to step out in that bold faith.
1: Yeah. My last question for you is what is maybe the number one thing you'd want readers to take away from reading this one?
0: The number one thing I'd want them to take away is that they can overcome those thoughts that take them down to places they shouldn't be. They can overcome them. They may never, you know, people are like, oh, well, God can heal people things. He can. For some reason, he is not healing me of these negative thoughts. Something happens and a, and a thought comes up. And, you know, I try to take hold of them and make sure that they don't get worse. Sometimes I let them get worse. And then I think, no, I have scripture to replace that. And that's what I want people to do is take that deception and move it into the truth of what God tells us. We're not called to to live in fear. He's not given us a spirit of fear, you know, doubting. We don't doubt. We trust in him that he has us where we are in that moment that we're there to do what he's asking us to do with whoever that is with us. Absolutely. Well,
1: where can people grab a copy of their own and connect with you online?
0: Yeah. The best place to go is my website, Billy, B-I-L-L-I-E, Joust, J-A-U-S-S.com. And that's my website. And you can go there and find the book, find me on social media, my podcast, my speaking schedule, all of that.
1: Well, Billy, this was a great conversation. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation.